Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Well, good morning. So this morning, we're continuing in our series, That's a Good Word, Solid Advice for Life in an Unstable World. We're continuing in our series through the book of James, and we're finding ourselves in the passage that was just read, James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, and the title of today's message is, That's a Good Word about Wisdom. That's a Good Word about Wisdom. So in the year that me and my family arrived to Canada, I was around five years old, uh, and then me and uh, the first friend that I made in Canada, we were at a park, our families weren't too far away, uh, but you know, as kids play, things happen, and I ended up falling off the slide, hitting my head, probably, I can't really remember, but... I ended up throwing up a bunch, and so my parents, concerned as they were, took me and rushed me to the emergency room to to see if everything was okay. Now, the doctors were like, he's probably fine, but we don't want to assume anything, so they took me and and gave me a CT scan. Uh, Just like a CT scan is used to see what's happening on the inside, James, in the passage that we find ourselves today, is giving us a way to see if We truly possess true wisdom. So just like the CT scan helps us and reveals what's happening inside, James wants to give us tools to see if we truly possess wisdom. See, wisdom is a thing that James tells us that we need. He says it's necessary for the believer. In fact, in chapter one, he tells us if you lack it, you should go to God and ask, and he will give it to you generously. So it's not only necessary, but he tells us that once you do have it, it's observable. That the person who possesses it and lives their life, you can look at them and say, now that's a wise guy. It's the same case that you find in in Psalm chapter 1. The guy who who doesn't sit in the seat of mockers, he doesn't uh, dwell amongst them. They, They can look at him and by his actions say, that is a wise Guy, and, and so that's what James is trying to tell us here, that, that wisdom is something that you can see. See, he does the same thing in chapter two when someone comes up to him and says, I have faith. Well, James' response isn't just simply to believe him, but says, show me, show me your faith. And in the same way, James is showing us in the passage today that true faith Sorry, true wisdom, and that's our big takeaway today, that true wisdom is revealed in the things that we do. True wisdom is revealed in the things that we do. Now, I have two aims for us this morning that I I want to see happen in our lives, and one is I I want to help us evaluate in our lives whether or not we possess true wisdom. 
We wanna look at our conduct, our actions, and see whether or not we possess true wisdom. And then two, I wanna motivate us to pursue after true wisdom. Whether or not we have it, I want us to pursue after true wisdom because if we don't have it, James tells us we need it. And if we do have wisdom already, James tells us, well, until you're perfect, until you're mature, you need more of it. And James tells us in the passage today that not only do we need it, but there's great benefit. There's great results that come from possessing true wisdom. So I want us to evaluate ourselves but I want to motivate us to pursue after true wisdom. But before we go any further, we want to define what wisdom is. It's often a concept that we think we know until we're asked, and so I want to define wisdom for us, and it's up on the screen for us. Uh, Just a quick definition of wisdom. Wisdom hears the word. We want to place ourselves in a position that we're readily hearing God's word. So like we are right now, we're, we're sitting under the teaching of God's word. But not only hearing it, we want to receive it. See, this was the difference in the, in the crowd that sat under the teaching of Peter at Pentecost. There was those who heard it, but then there was those who received it and then repented and were baptized. So we want to hear it, we want to receive it, but then we want to strive to understand it. We want to seek to know God's heart, his purposes, and his will as he's revealed it through his word. But we also want to do the word. Not not long ago in the, the book of James, we were told that Faith is not simply just hearing the word, but doing the word. So we want to do the word, but we also want to believe it, that God has promises in there and tells us that there's good things that come from placing our trust in God's word. So we don't want to just simply do these things, but we want to believe that God is truly who he says he is and will give us the things that he says he will give us and the benefits that come from his word. And we do all of these things consistently in day-to-day life. Now, before we go any further, it's, it's wise of us, especially as we're talking about wisdom, to, to come to the Lord in prayer, asking that he would make our ears receptive to hear our hearts ready to receive that he would illuminate the word so that we can understand, that he would give us strength to do the word, and that he would give us, supply us with grace that we might believe it in the days to come. So let me pray and ask the Lord to be with us this morning. Father, we, we, we thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you for your word We trust that you love us so much that you have a word for us this morning, that you desire by your spirit to make known yourself, to build up your people. And so help us in all of these things to to hear, to receive, to understand, to do, and to believe your word this morning. So be with us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So James, in this passage, like a good teacher, he, he's often clarifying. He's saying, I, I mean this, and I don't mean this. He, he wants to make it absolutely clear to us what true wisdom is. And our first, first point, we're getting right into it. True wisdom acts in a certain way. True wisdom acts in a certain way. 
See, James begins this passage by asking his readers a question. Look at verse 13. Who is wise in understanding among you? See, this is like one of those icebreaker games that that often happens at a a college orientation. You know, raise your hand if your parents made you come here. And then you see hands go up and people sitting down. And it's one of those icebreaker games. And James is asking, if you think you're wise and understanding, put up your hand. And you can almost see uh, people starting to raise their hand and being like, well, that guy shouldn't be raising his hand. He's clearly not wise. Uh, And then you're seeing people not putting up their hands and judging is happening, and and as they're starting to feel good about themselves because they're standing up and making themselves known, James puts them under a microscope and starts testing them to see if their wisdom is real. See, they probably weren't expecting that kind of scrutiny or, or their wisdom starting to be analyzed, but James is putting their wisdom to the test. See, James puts them under the microscope to see if their wisdom is real because wisdom for James isn't just head knowledge. See, wisdom for James and the wisdom that God wants for us is doing something. It's knowledge giving birth to action. It's practical and it's observable. See, look at at verse 13 again, the rest of it. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Don't forget our big takeaway. Remember, true wisdom is revealed in the things that we do. True wisdom is revealed in the things that we do. And James is showing us right here in verse 13 that true wisdom is revealed in our good conduct and our meekness or humility. See, good conduct is that ordinary, consistent, day-by-day obedience to the Lord as revealed in his word. And this good conduct as we consistently, day-by-day obey the Lord reveals whether or not we have true wisdom. But what else does good conduct do? Good conduct actually protects our witness to the watching world. Here's what, what Peter the apostle says about this. Keep your conduct, there's that word again, among the Gentiles, honorable. It's the same word, good conduct, honorable conduct. Why? So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, our good conduct not only reveals whether or not we possess true wisdom, but it also protects our witness to the watching world because when they see that we are conducting ourselves well, they can't pin down their evil accusations against us. But instead, by the the day that the Lord returns, they'll have to glorify God. But you're you're asking, what, what does this mean for us? What are some practical ways that we can live out our good conduct so that we can possess true wisdom or show that we possess true wisdom and protect our witness? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here are some, here are some ways that we can uh, live out our good conduct. There's a list right here for us, uh, 10 ways that we can live with good conduct. One, by storing up treasure in heaven. Because we understand that our citizenship is in heaven, we don't build up our treasures here, but we're building up our treasures in heaven. Two, 
by being invested in the good of the city around us. This goes against that, that saying, you know, they're so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. When we have good conduct, we, our minds are set in heaven, but we don't neglect the good of the city around us. We, we want to see our, our city thriving. Three, by loving our children and considering them a blessing. Four, by being hospitable to others. By simply inviting them over for a meal, you can display the good conduct that comes from true wisdom. By being faithful in our marriages, by obeying the law of the land. Why? Because we obey a higher law. We, our obedience and our allegiance is to Christ. Seven, by loving our neighbors. Eight, by, by being content with little. And nine, by responding to insult with honor, patience, and prayer. Why do we do this? Because as we do, uh, as we respond to insult with honor, patience, and prayer, it's, it's like what Peter says to the wife who's married to an unbelieving husband, that by her conduct, she might win over her unbelieving husband. That as we respond to insult with honor, patience, and prayer, the Lord can use that to win over our unbelieving, whether it be spouse, our, our family, or our friends. Our good conduct is a means of evangelism. So we don't give up on them. 10, by being patient and joyful in hardship. 10 ways that we can live out our good conduct. So our good conduct reveals we have true wisdom and protects our witness to the watching world. Like when you go to Ikea and you purchase a, a piece of furniture, it always comes with an Allen key, but like who uses that, an Allen key, and some really hard to follow instructions. Ikea furniture always comes with those two things. And just like that, James tells us that true wisdom always comes with not just good conduct, but it's paired with humility, meekness, gentleness, same word translated in, in all those ways. Those things are to be consistent evidences and markers of a believer. James has told us before in chapter one that meekness or humility is the way that we even receive the gospel, that we receive the word. James 1 verse 21 says this, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls so James tells us that we receive the word with meekness but then we also go and do the word with meekness we receive with humility and we continue to live out with humility Christians never outgrow humility and, and Jesus tells us that meekness is a good thing that brings Good result. What did he say? Blessed are the meek. Why? Because they shall inherit the earth. Jesus rewards meekness because it reflects him. He calls himself meek and gentle and, and humble. See, the whole Christian life, the aim of our lives is to look more like Jesus. So meekness is not something that is optional for the believer. It's something we ought to pursue and should mark our lives consistently. But the question then is, where does that meekness come from? 
Well, Douglas Moo helps us out here. He says, this Christian meekness or humility comes from understanding our position as sinful creatures in relationship to the glorious and majestic God. It starts with our position before the Lord. We need to know who we are before our God. It recognizes how unable we are in and of ourselves to achieve spiritual fulfillment or to chart our own course in the world, as we'll see in, in just a chapter, that we, we, in all things, we say Lord willing, because we're unable to chart our own course in the world. Humility. And this humility before God should then translate into humility towards others. See, if a person's life is not marked by humility before others, it's probably a sign that you do not have humility before God. If you're unwilling to show meekness and gentleness and humility to others, it's probably because you have never bent the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's probably a sign, as James uses the language in chapter 1, verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. It may be a sign that that's not true of you. See, James says, when the, the Lord works in you because you were unable to save yourself, he makes you a new creation by his word according to his will. And if that's happened, humility should be the, the characterization of you. See, a believer characterized by bullishness and arrogance doesn't make sense in the mind of the Lord. It's, a, it's an oxymoron. It shouldn't happen and that's what James goes on to tell us. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. James explains that if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, you don't have true wisdom. But why? Because bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are the complete opposite of humility. So if you don't have humility, you don't have true wisdom. And so James is saying, don't boast. You don't have it. Don't boast and, and raise your hand thinking that you have true wisdom and understanding when you, all you're marked with is selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. See, James is being clear to us here and now that the moment that we become prideful and start boasting in our own wisdom and understanding is the moment we actually lose wisdom and understanding. That the moment we boast, we lose what we think we have. As believers, as we grow in our understanding of God's word in our relationship and our walk with the Lord, as we kill sin, it can be easy to think and start feeling good about ourselves. But this is where it's important to remember that, that all of those good things, our spiritual growth, our understanding of God's word, our vibrant walk with him according to his spirit, our killing the flesh, are all a grace from God. It's all undeserved. It's all his work in us. See, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. 
though it was not I, but the grace that was in me, but the grace of God that is with me. See, Paul is, is reminding us that, that grace has not only saved us and given us a new identity, I am who I am, but it's grace that enables us to work. See, there's no moment at which a believer can attribute their own spiritual growth to themselves. Pride can never be a factor. It's always grace, and so humility comes with it. Remembering God's grace to us keeps us humble. See, it's the, the believer who is truly mature, the believer who is truly wise is the one who understands how much we need God. That's where true wisdom is. See, James continues. He doesn't just leave us there. Look at verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. See, James goes on to tell us that true wisdom brings about certain results, and he starts off by telling us a little bit more about false wisdom. See, James explains that wisdom that is marked by jealousy and selfish ambition isn't from above, and what he means by that is that it's not from God. Wisdom, when it's marked by selfish ambition and jealousy, you can be very confident, James is saying, that it's not from God. In fact, he answers the question, if it's not from God, where is it from? Well, he tells us, he gives us three descriptions. False wisdom is one, earthly. And by that, he means that it isn't concerned about the things of God or his will and his purposes. See, false wisdom is earthly. It's only considered by the, uh, considerate of the things that you can see, the here and now, the passions and pleasures that are readily available. False wisdom is too unspiritual. It's not ruled and, and boxed in by God's word and directed by his wisdom, but it's ruled by human reasoning and human feeling. And then third, it's demonic. It's not from God, but it's from the devil. So that means that wisdom that's marked by selfish ambition and bitter jealousy is actually in conflict with the purposes and people of God. Remember our, our big takeaway. True wisdom is revealed by the things that we do. And the same goes for false wisdom. James tells us that we can know this false wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic by its results. Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. He tells us what the results are. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, so that false wisdom, wherever you find false wisdom, there's disorder, and by that he, he means confusion, division, chaos. Those are all the ways that that word can be translated. And every vile practice, every kind of evil you can think of. So chaos and evil, that's what marks false wisdom. It's like last spring when you walked into a Costco and they finally brought out that new palette of toilet paper. Chaos. Everyone for themselves. Just chaos and evil. They're, like you left not wanting to come back. That's what, that's what James says false wisdom is like. Chaos and evil. Well, how, does that, how is that relevant to us? How do we combat that in the church? 
How do we rid ourselves of false wisdom? Well, Paul tells us, Philippians chapter two, verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition. See, James and, and Paul are on the same page here. Selfish ambition cannot exist in the church that seeks to be united. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. We fight jealousy and selfish ambition and conceit through our embracing of humility. That's true wisdom. And how does that practically work out? By thinking of others as more important than ourselves. Paul tells us that the fuel for that, though, is the example of Jesus Christ. That though he was equal with God the Father, he did not count equality as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, that he took on human likeness and died in our place. The example of Christ fuels our humility. It kills selfish ambition. And the, the walls of hostility and disorder that were built up by false wisdom is taken down by the work of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter two, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The wisdom of God in the cross of Jesus Christ has dismantled the division that was raised by false wisdom. The wisdom of God in the cross of Jesus Christ has dismantled the division that was built up by false wisdom. So we've talked about false wisdom and James has told us how we can see false wisdom by its results. But what about true wisdom? Well, James moves on, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. See, true wisdom, unlike false wisdom, is from above. James means that it's from God. You can be confident that when you have these things that he's about to talk about, that this wisdom is from the Father of lights. Well, how do we know? Big, our big takeaway, again, true wisdom is revealed in the things that we do. So James goes on to tell us, what does true wisdom then look like? True wisdom, he tells us, is first of all and primarily pure. And he goes on with this next list to describe what he means by that. What does he mean by pure? He means, one, it's peaceable. It desires to make peace. This isn't the, the peaceability that marks someone who sees tension and stays away because they want to maintain their own peace. But this is the peaceability that marks someone who sees tension and conflict and runs into it because they desire those individuals to experience the peace that they have. See, peaceability doesn't mean that you avoid tension and conflict, but it means that you desire to see peace flourish beyond yourself. It's peaceable, but it's also gentle. It means that you're not imposing strict measures on others. You don't make yourself a law unto other people. The grace of God has saved us, so why do we become a law unto others? See, it's open to reason, a willingness to yield to others, to be persuaded. True wisdom 
is not marked by a closed-mindedness to others, but is open to be persuaded, not just by anything, but when it comes to the word of God, are you willing to be convinced of other ways, the, the, the way that God wants us to see it? D, it's full of, good mercy, full of mercy and good fruit, meaning a love for neighbor that is practically displayed in action. It's also impartial that you desire to treat everyone equally. We, we, James talked about this in a chapter before, that, impart, uh, uh, that partiality is a sin before God. And so true wisdom is impartial, but it's also sincere, meaning it's transparent and consistent in character. That means it's, they don't just say things, but they do things. It's what James said earlier, faith, true faith doesn't just hear the word of God, but it does the word of God. So James is saying almost the same thing week after week in this passage. It's tell, James is trying to tell us that this is what true wisdom looks like. And when we live like this, James tells us that there's good results. Look at verse 18. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, unlike false wisdom that results in disorder, division, chaos, and every imaginable evil thing, true wisdom results in peace. And that peace fertilizes the soil and makes it ready for the seeds of righteousness that will reap a harvest in the future. But what does James mean by righteousness? Well, he, he told us earlier in chapter one that righteousness is good conduct that is pleasing to God. It's the same word that's translated in the New Testament as justice. See, what James is trying to convince us of here. Uh, that is that true wisdom marked by peace is what results in justice and righteousness in the future. That by living a life of peace, all of the things that he's, it's peace in verse 18 is his way of summarizing everything in verse 17. When we live a life marked by peace, we are sowing the seeds of righteousness and justice for the future. How is that relevant to us today? Well, there's entire philosophies in our modern culture that seek to promote justice and righteousness, but only end up creating more division and disunity. And the question you have to ask is why, and James gives us the answer, because the heart is not rooted in true wisdom and a desire for peace and unity. James tells us if we want justice, if we want righteousness, it begins from a place of peace and unity. That's where Christian justice starts. But how do you live like this? How do you pursue peace? If you look at verse 17, if, if we're honest with ourselves, it's very hard. Put your name there instead of true wisdom and see how far you get. Sheon is first pure, then peaceable. See how far you get. I guarantee you won't make it all the way. 
What James is trying to remind us of here is that we cannot walk like this on our own. What he's trying to remind us of is the spirit of God that has been given to us by Jesus Christ as our helper. It's through dependence on the spirit. This is what Paul says in Galatians. You'll notice that the list that he makes here is is not much different from the list that James gives us. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul is telling us that when we are found in Jesus Christ, the passions and desires of the flesh, what James calls false wisdom, remember it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic, has been crucified, it's been done away with. Now we can walk in step with the Spirit and live a life marked by true wisdom. And so when we walk in step with the Spirit, we can live like this, and then we can hope to see seeds of righteousness and justice planted for the future. See, this true wisdom that we so desperately need, this true wisdom that James tells us is not only necessary but observable in the life of someone who possesses it, this wisdom that comes from above is a gift from God the Father. And he loves to give this gift to us when we come to him and ask him in faith. James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. If any of you lacks wisdom, that's all of us, until we are at a place of complete maturity. He goes on to say, if, if you don't lack, then you're probably perfect. And he's saying, you've reached complete maturity. And none of us have on this side of heaven. And so if we lack wisdom, we ought to ask God who gives it generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him. See, not only does God give us the wisdom that we need to live a life pleasing to him, But he has also given us his son, Jesus Christ, who is wisdom incarnate, wisdom in the flesh. Look at what Paul says about Jesus. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then Colossians chapter two. Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, Jesus came down from heaven to show us what heavenly wisdom does in all of life. See, he was marked by gentleness and meekness and humility, and through his work on the cross, he made peace with God his Father, between us and God the Father, and made peace with one another, those we had enmity with. And because of his work at making peace, he then reaped a harvest of righteousness. We are that harvest of righteousness that Jesus has reaped by his peacemaking efforts on the cross. And that when we as a church live and display peace and unity, we display God's wisdom to the watching world. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 3. So that through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. When we live with true wisdom, resulting in peace and righteousness and unity between one another, the church becomes this massive billboard of look at God's wisdom. Why? Because it's a display of people who have had nothing else in common brought into unity because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's a display of people who couldn't save themselves and God worked in their life. And so the church becomes this display of God's manifold and infinite wisdom. And we enjoy this unity. We enjoy this peace as we walk in the power of the Spirit. Remember our, our big takeaway, true wisdom is revealed in the things that we do. True wisdom is revealed in the things that we do. And as we live this way, the way that James calls us to a life marked by peace and righteousness, he tells us that there will be great results. That as we walk in the power of the Spirit to achieve these things, that the Lord will use that for great results. We will see those results of true wisdom, peace and righteousness in our church, in our families, amongst our friends, in our workplaces, places we go to school. As we live life in the power of the Spirit, pursuing true wisdom, God uses that to plant seeds for righteousness and justice in the future. And then through our conduct and the fruit that we bear through true wisdom, we ultimately display God's wisdom and we give him all the glory. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning that reminds us of our desperate need of true wisdom. And you've reminded us even through this passage how hard it is to accomplish it on our own. It's impossible. And so we're thankful that you have not left us to ourselves, but that you give us the spirit of Christ who is in us and by which we can produce all of these things and live a life that is pleasing to you. And this displays your wisdom and gives you glory because it, it, it protects our witness and it helps others see who you are. So we pray that, that you'd help us receive the word this morning, that your spirit would take it and bear much fruit in our lives, that you remind us that we go about all of these things, not in our own strength, but because of Christ who is in us. So be with us, help us, we pray in Christ's name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.